This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. It's Halloween and the weather out there was certainly pretty scary when I was coming in earlier this morning. Seems to have calmed down a bit and a nice bright bright morning uh, emerging across Carlow and Kilkenny. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. Ireland's easiest quiz indeed. Well, the easiest questions perhaps, but not too easy to win the money. €300 next week. Anyway, this morning on The Bottom Line... We'll be hearing about how this extraordinary year has changed Irish consumers' approach to Christmas and we'll be discussing how this will impact business. In the midst of the lockdown for all but essential retail, we'll be talking to Duncan Graham of Retail Excellence Ireland. And at the time of the year when businesses in Kilkenny are normally gearing up for the Kilkenny Business Awards, we'll be talking to John Hurley of Kilkenny Chamber about what, if anything, is planned for the awards this year. But first, this time next week, we should know the result of the US presidential election, or maybe we won't. But it's been described as the most important election in the US, certainly in living memory. It will impact the world in so many ways. So I thought we'd try and get a perspective on how it might unfold. And I thought it would be good to catch up with Mark Little. Mark is a man with huge experience of American politics, having served as RTE's first ever Washington correspondent in the late 1990s. He left RTE and went on to head Twitter in Ireland and was then the founder of Storyful, a social media intelligence agency which is now part of News Corp. Mark left Storyful, which he founded, and he now runs Kinzen, a company which seeks to develop solutions in relation to disinformation and fake news, two things very big in the US election. I caught up with Mark yesterday and I started our conversation by asking him for his perspective on the US presidential election. You know, it's like when you look at the United States, you have to get used to the idea that you can find things that are completely contradictory but always true, right? What I mean by that is when we're looking at this election, you could choose to look at one side of it, which is the fact that Donald Trump is the president and about around 42-44% of Americans are like as committed if not more committed to him than they were four years ago so many people in Ireland would think that's crazy and reflects a craziness in American society and they'd be right on the other hand you know the fact that we have uh, the United States has gone through dramatic changes in its makeup so a lot more people for example from uh, ethnic backgrounds in a couple of years time whites will be a minority of the American population we've seen massive changes this time around compared to 2016 so you know back in 2016 older people uh, were voting for Trump in large numbers that's changed you know women were, were voting uh, for Trump in large mon- uh, numbers now the the gap between Biden and Trump for women is enormous in the suburbs people are shifting over to Biden. So there's this weird thing happening where the Trump people are ever more Trump, devoted, deeply so. And on the other hand, then, there's evidence of changes in American society that we're starting to see in this election. And that's why it is most likely that uh, Joe Biden will win. There is a distinct possibility it's a landslide for Biden. And I think there's still a route for Trump uh, to, to you know, get an electoral college vote without getting the popular vote. But it's really narrow, and right now you would not put money on him 
being president of the United States um, in January, assuming we do have a president by January, because there's every prospect of a long time to wait for all the votes to be counted. Yeah, take us back. You were uh, well known as the first Washington correspondent for RT back in the late 90s. It was a completely different political landscape, a different political culture and a different um, America, really. It, it sort of seemed that way. But when I look back, I do see the the early seeds of the Trump era in, in the time that I covered. So remember back in you know, 96, 97, when the Monica Lewinsky scandal emerged. Um, if you remember back then, that was the beginning of Fox News. And this what, what Hillary Clinton talked about at the time was the vast right-wing conspiracy. So the beginnings of what we see today in America with their polarization actually began toward the end of the Clinton years. The other part of it as well is that there were things happening in American society in the 90s, like a, a, a mad rush of Americans to the suburbs of their big cities and you know increasing amount of people coming from Latino backgrounds. That really did uh, pave the way first for the election of Barack Obama in 2008, but also created a backlash among white Americans that produced Donald Trump. So, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but we were actually living through the beginnings of a major change for America uh, with the end of the Clinton era. Final thing, I always have post-traumatic stress disorder for my last few months as Washington correspondent because I spent it, if you remember, the contested election result in the year 2000. The hanging Uh, chads. The hanging chads. There you go. and I, I just have a little bit of flashback, you know, not in a good way <laughs> to that, because that's definitely a scenario that could happen again. Yeah, um, uh, the, the, the Republicans and the Democrats are probably getting tooled up with legal representation as we speak. With your insight into America, what, what do you think are the likelihoods of a contested election result at this stage? There's going to be a bizarre thing happens on Tuesday, let's say early Wednesday morning, right? So you're going to have a state like Pennsylvania uh, is going to declare the result of the people that voted that day, right, or the previous day. And that's going to mean Trump is going to look like he is way ahead in Pennsylvania. But in reality, they'll only start counting the postal votes and the people that have voted early in the days afterwards. And that's where Biden is strong. Equally down in the, they call the Sun Belt, like going from Florida all the way through to places like Arizona and Texas. Biden's going to have a huge lead because they count the early votes there first. Right. So I know that's confusing. But what it means is the reality in the first few hours of the results emerging is going to be different than the reality when all the votes are counted. And that could take weeks. And so for me personally, um, there is every chance uh, that we will be in a position where Donald Trump's going to come out and say, you know what, I'm in the lead right now. And that's it. I want this to stop. And all these votes coming in from uh, the postal voters, they're all fraud. And, and that's the kind of thing he would do. Then the lawyers get involved and they come along and they'll, you know, be doing what they did back in Florida in the year 2000. My other fear is it's not just going to be about lawyers having fights in a courtroom, that you could see civil unrest from people that support Trump and accuse the Democrats of having some form of coup. Now, that may sound crazy, but compare, you know, that crazy to what we've been living through for the past couple of years. And it's not 
beyond uh, the realms of imagination. And the impact for all that on business and the economy could be uh, quite serious. I mean, in a benign uh, scenario where Biden wins and tr- Trump loses, uh, that that changes the uh, complexion of Brexit somewhat and has implications for Ireland. Or if Trump is uh, retained in power, uh, that equally could have uh, economic uh, implications. I, mean, I spent a lot of time over the years trying to look for specific outcomes um, from US politics and particularly particularly on obviously Irish business and Irish you know, the economy, no one knows, right? And I, and I think perhaps in Ireland, there's a little bit too much, um, you know, prediction based on personalities in the White House. And in reality, that's not what impacts Ireland. I don't think so. I don't think even looking back at the Clinton years, you can say that because we had a great friend in the White House, he certainly was a great friend to Ireland. And there was definitely uh, a much stronger link between our economy and the United States. But when he left, it wasn't necessarily some sort of sea change. So I think the bigger issues um, that the American president will have an impact on that will then have a downwind impact in Ireland are things like relationships with China, uh, trade deals. So clearly Biden is someone who will be a bit more cooperative when it comes to trade deals, but he might take a stronger line on China. He may equally take a strong line in forcing American corporations to invest back at home, particularly pharmaceutical companies, for example. So I just am not convinced that there is some dramatic difference between Trump in the White House and Biden in the White House uh, in terms of a direct impact in Ireland. I think it's all indirect. Hmm. So the negative could be that we do see a rivalry between China and the United States, that we do see Biden having to, you know, make concessions to the white working class voters of Michigan who've lost their jobs or, or they would perceive to Mexico, to other countries. So he may be quite protectionist. Equally, Trump, on the other hand, is quite clear in his, in, in his desire to get jobs and profits back from other countries. So on balance, yes, there is a difference between the two. One area I would say that is quite uh, exciting with the Biden presidency is he will be investing a lot of money in infrastructure, and particularly infrastructure that moves the United States from being a carbon-based, oil-based, fuel-based economy to more of a Green New Deal, which is the phrase you're going to hear a lot more about in the coming years if Biden does get elected. So I think with that, Irish industry, particularly Irish startups and indigenous uh, innovation-led businesses, should be orientating themselves for the kind of outcome where things like solar power, electricity grids, uh, renewable energy sources, technology, infrastructure. These are going to be the opportunities for the future. And Ireland, I, I would argue, is absolutely poised if it can think forward and not be reactive to who the president is, but think about where the American economy is going. So if you're in renewable energy, uh, if you're an investor, um, where your money should be going and your innovation should be going is preparing for Ireland to be selling in to the movement toward a more um, sustainable, renewable economy for the United States. And I think that will probably be the biggest opportunity from a a Biden presidency and certainly something you wouldn't see if Donald Trump gets in for another four years. 
Yeah, now just going back for a minute uh, to the election and uh, your time in Washington as uh, a Washington correspondent for, for RT, elections were completely different then, or maybe not completely different, but what, what is different since is, is the pervasiveness of social media. You spent time as managing di- director of uh, Twitter in Ireland. How have you seen elections change? And I'm bringing it up to your current role in Kinzen. Um, how, how have elections fundamentally changed uh, with the advent of, of such pervasive social media? So the first, I think, very powerful and still probably the most uh, impactful way that Twitter and social media has changed elections is that it's allowed voters to speak directly to the politician and allowed politicians to speak directly to the, the voter. There is no way, you don't have to go through the media, the gatekeeper, the journalists. Um, you can talk directly to the voter and the voter can tell you what they think. Now, I think that has made journalism and politics so much more um, responsive. I think it's given people a sense of power that they didn't have before. Now, that's the plus side. On the downside, the problem is that there's such a vast volume of content and conversation going on, is you don't really know who to listen to. Um, you, You get people like Trump, who then find a way to use platforms like Twitter to essentially become demagogues and to dominate the conversation. So the loudest, the angriest, voice generally is the one that tends to break through on social media. So there's a definite uh, dark and a light side. I, I think personally, and, and I would say this, Twitter has been one of the greatest democratizing forces in our lives, um, and potentially since Gutenberg and his Bible. Right? But remember, when people invented the printing press, that led to a period of great unrest across Europe. And so what we're seeing now is the birth of a new technology that has given people power over politics and journalism. But we're going through the growing pains. I mean, Twitter's only what? 2006 and 2007 it was formed and it was created. So we're still in the early days of this social media revolution. I would argue history will judge it to be a very positive thing for democracy. However, the enemies of democracy right now have found ways to hijack and and turn social media into a weapon. And that's where my everyday work and my team at Kinzen, we're trying to use the tools um, that technology has given us, that's artificial intelligence, to try and find both the content that we should exclude or we should expose as disinformation and the really good content that we should promote so that people, when they come into their feeds, can immediately trust what they see and restore some of the trust that we've lost. So it's a battle right now. It's it's like any time in history when a new technology uh, or innovation changes the way we think about things, brings generally very positive things, but also some negative things. I mean, I, I would compare this to radio or television, right? When radio became democratic in the 1920s and 30s, and every person got a radio in their house, Hitler used radio in the 30s to basically create a platform for himself. We look at television. Television has you know, been blamed for all kinds of dumbing down of our politics to a large extent. It's, you could argue that like Trump is not really the Twitter president, he's actually the TV guy. So you know, every new technology that we now take for granted had a period when everybody said, oh my God, that's evil. And I think we're going through that similar process right now with social media and it's, uh, it's hard and it's sometimes awful to watch. But I'm a believer in the long-term value of these platforms uh, to make our lives better. Because in COVID, one example I would give you is 
we're now all living online, right? Now, you think about healthcare. Uh, a year ago, you know, the debate told us we could never have primary cares you know, that we could get ourselves. We'd have to go to our GP. I think a lot of us are now realizing that we can get that primary health care online or on the phone. So I think we're starting to see with COVID that we will spend a lot more time uh, getting power from these innovations like social media, like online commerce. And I think in retrospect, we look back and this is a very good time. But we went through growing pains and, and that's obviously where my focus is. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. The heart of two counties. KCLR. You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, very interesting to listen to Mark Little and his perspective on the US election and the impact it will have on Irish business. And we'll see this time next week whether his prediction of a landslide for Joe Biden will come true. But listen, we're on to Christmas. And today marks only 54 days to Christmas. And of course, Christmas 2020 is going to be a festive season with a difference. How will it impact on business and how are Irish consumers going to spend this Christmas? Well, Core is Ireland's largest marketing communications company and they recently released a really interesting piece of research called Christmas Expectations, How People Will Navigate Christmas 2020. And joining me on the line to discuss this is Anne Zahan, who's Strategy Director with Core. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, John. How are you? Very well on this Halloween morning. For many people in business, Christmas 2020 is a scary prospect. Just tell us about the research that you've done, uh, Christmas Expectations. Yes, sure. So we've been tracking uh, consumer behaviour, market dynamics, and the kind of general mood of the nation since the start of COVID-19. And as part of this, we've surveyed over 20,000 people across 20 separate waves of research. And for this particular report, the Christmas Expectations Report, um, we designed it specifically to help, as you say, businesses that usually this time of year would be quite uh, important for them sales-wise. We've we've designed this report to help them uh, navigate this time. Yeah, and Christmas is obviously a huge percentage. The 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 information varies, but like with a with a, a lockdown November is completely unprecedented. So there's no rule book. But how are um, consumers responding, and what what is your research telling you? Well, the the main takeaway, I suppose, the key headline is that uh, Christmas is not cancelled. So um, um, we're seeing that people are are still going to do their best to enjoy Christmas, to spend time with family, um, to spend money on gifts for loved ones. Um, the, the, The one big difference is, so in 2019, we would have seen around $5 billion spent in the month of December. And the predicted spend for this year is closer to $4.3 billion. So uh, it's really important that we try to keep all of that in the Irish economy. Um, And so shopping local will become increasingly important. And that showed in the research where uh, 72% of people say that they approve of local shops and how they've been handling the pandemic. Um, And with retail outlets closed for, for the next, you know, five to six weeks, the challenge is really going to be to guide people to either click and collect services or to to online delivery services during this period. 
Yeah, and different uh, spending preferences among different age groups. Uh, what did your research tell you about that? So um, we saw that young adults, so adults that are under 40 with no children, will, will spend the least this Christmas season. Um, and older adults, so 40 to 60-year-olds with no children, will spend the most, and they'll actually spend the most of their Christmas budget on gifts. So about 18% of their budget will be spent on gifts. Um, after gifts, groceries is the next highest expenditure, and then things like electronics and clothes and, and toys will fall after that. But really, we see the highest spend group being the older adults with, with no children. Yeah, um, and it's dual channel purchasing behaviour, an interesting phrase that I saw in your survey. Talk yeah. to us a bit about that and how people are going to mix uh, online and other channels for their purchasing. Right. So uh, we know that 67% of people, um, sorry, 51% of people said that they will, will shop more online um, this year. But um, we also know that when shops do uh, open up, albeit for, for a, a short enough time before Christmas, that um, there will be a kind of pent up demand where they will go and shop if they can if Christmas, um, if Christmas shops are able to open before Christmas. So it really depends, I suppose, on how the next few weeks go and if shops are able to open. Um, in the meantime, we don't really have any other choice, right? It will have to be online. Um, but ideally, in the longer term, if shops do open, um, there is appetite for people to go and shop. Yeah, and on this programme, we've spoken to literally dozens of businesses over the last uh, couple of months who, who have undertaken an online transformation. Uh, and so people are very interested in, in, it's a kind of a new phrase we've heard, click local. Yes, yes, shop local. Um, and again, this is something that's, that's incredibly important for Ireland. And um, only a couple of days ago, um, I found out about this, this website called Just Buy Irish, so it was started uh, by a couple of people kind of as, as a side gig. And essentially, it's an aggregator site for any Irish small business that does online delivery. So if you're a small business in Ireland and you're set up for online delivery, you can submit your store on their website. Um, so in terms of making it easier for people to buy local, because we know that there's appetite there, we know that people want to buy local, there's a resource there. We just need to make sure that we're we're helping people, we're giving people the resources to buy local. Yeah. Um, because, again, as we said, it, it is going to become very important this year. Yeah, now, as well as the whole shopping at Christmas, uh, meeting up with people is a huge part of it. Um, you know, normally uh, hotels, restaurants, um, clubs and so on, gearing up for the busiest times of the year as people get together and maybe catch up for meals or drinks with people. That's not on the menu, pardon the pun, really, no. this year. <laughs> what have people been saying about their intentions to meet up with people uh, and so on? Yeah, so the majority of people, uh, not surprisingly, so 51% of people say that they will be socializing online. So, you know, whatever about being Zoomed out, um, this, this phrase I've been hearing about people being sick of being on Zoom or being on other video calls, um, that will kind of come back in, into style this Christmas because there will be no other way to socialize and people will want to socialize. So 51% of people will be socializing online. 18% um, of people said that they will do more outdoor socializing this year than last year. So there'll be a bit of that. Um, you know, any restaurants that have outdoor seating 
might see um, um, a, a bit of an influx of people or people might just be going on walks more. Um, and in terms of in-person socializing, so again, it, it all depends on how these next few weeks go, but um, 67% of people want to meet with their families in person um, and they're prioritizing that over, over meeting with friends or with work colleagues in person. But there's very much an appetite, as, as you can imagine, for people to meet their families in person this Christmas. Yeah, so consumers really changing their attitudes, all because of COVID, of course, um, and getting in touch uh, with different priorities. What applications does this have for business and for brands? Um, Core works with some of the largest brands in the world. How can brands adapt to such huge change? Um, So there's there's really three key pieces of advice. Um, The first, uh, I, I call empathy over access. And what I mean by that is, Brands should move away from any communication that encourages overspending. So, you know, buy one, get one free, today only, that kind of thing. And instead, focus on on the reality that COVID-19 has put us in. um, Because although we do still know that consumers are going to spend this Christmas, they'll do so with brands and companies uh, who show that their values are are aligned with their own. Um, Now, an example of a brand that's done this quite well is, is on post. So I don't know if you, you saw their Send Love campaign or if you got any of their postcards in the mail. Absolutely. Their, their free of charge postcards. Yeah. So really powerful from a marketing perspective. It did the perfect job of solving a pain point for people in a way that, first of all, is completely true to their product and brand. And second of all, is, is a long-term initiative, not an initiative that's just put in place during a time of crisis, during COVID, right? It's, it's something that'll stay there in the long term, which is incredibly important. So I'd say that's the first piece of advice is to make sure that that you're showing more empathy than any other year. Um, Second, you know, we we mentioned a lot of this, but supporting local. If you are an Irish brand, make sure that you're highlighting this. You're highlighting your support for the Irish economy. And if you're not an Irish brand, but you are in Ireland, um, see how you can work with Irish partners or, or Irish suppliers to make sure, again, that you are tapping into that appetite for people to buy local. Um, finally, the, the third piece of advice is, is I suppose, to, to practice what you preach. So as with anything during this time, people will be looking for, for brands to not just kind of talk, you know, but, but to say, so, so sorry, to do. So if brands are encouraging people to think of the less fortunate, they must be willing to donate to a cause that that supports the less fortunate. And brands that have charity partners, you know, as part of CSR initiatives, should um, first facilitate the public supporting these charities, but also, second, support them as well in, in meaningful ways. And thank you very much. That's really fascinating stuff. That's Anne Zahan, who's Strategy Director with CORE, who are Ireland's largest media agency, talking to us about... Uh, how Christmas is likely to change for 2020. Thanks very much, John. Thanks, John. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. I'm joined on the line by Duncan Graham of Retail Excellence Ireland. Duncan, good morning to you. We last spoke to you 
when you were just in the door and into the hot seat in July. Seems like a long time ago now. Tell us about your experience in retail in Ireland over the last couple of months. Yeah, John, it's been a bit of a baptism of fire, really. Um, Who would have known? I I, I, uh, certainly didn't anticipate that uh, less than four months into the role we'd be talking about a a second major lockdown um you know I, i think it's been fascinating over the last few weeks i think it's been uh incredible to see how adaptable retailers have been um but also we're now faced into this you know it's been a roller coaster john we're faced into this uh this cliff edge at the moment uh of the next six weeks and um uh, clearly, I didn't expect that when I started back in June. So definitely been a baptism of fire. Yeah, and um, back in those days, we were looking forward to easing of restrictions, a progressive easing of restrictions. Retail enjoyed a bit of a bounce in July and August, um, but the mood music from September onwards has been difficult, culminating in the lockdown last week. Yes, and, and of course, this is all following where the, the virus and, and the, the peaks and troughs of the virus. And um, you're right, I mean, Q2, uh, the summer months were, were good months. Um, not for everybody, frankly. The, the the local retailers performed well. I think uh, there was a certain bounce back in um, some of our tourist towns. They, those tourist towns performed reasonably well during the, the back end of the summer. And obviously the weather was in our favour for the first part of the summer as well. So that helped. But of course, um, on, a fl- on the flip side... Um, City centres, Dublin City Centre, Cork, Limerick, Galway, Waterford, Wexford, all all finding it very difficult because um, uh, and shopping districts, you know, people weren't going to those areas. So um, it, it was a bit of a mixed bag, but overall quite good in Q2. But then, of course, we've had the rise in the virus again as we've hit September and um, the restrictions, first off the level three restrictions in Dublin and then the further restrictions to level uh, level four in, in, in the border counties. And then, of course, level five hitting, which has been an absolute disaster as far as retail is concerned and you know, we have to take the pain at the moment very difficult for retailers and it must be hard on the morale um you know we should throw our minds back maybe three weeks there was talk of level five that was dismissed and there was more talk of it then then it was introduced that perhaps level four would do the trick but then finally six weeks of level five talk to us about the challenges that that poses for your members well, look, there are enormous challenges, and you're right. In we've been up and down uh, emotionally, and morale is is on the floor. You know, you could see this coming almost three weeks ago when Neffert were talking about level five, um, and obviously we've gone down that route um, as from last Thursday. And you know, the challenges for retailers are that uh, we are in that final quarter when 70% of profit for many, many retailers, these these loosely called non-essential retailers, 70% of profits are made during this, this period. And um, it's vital for retail because if they don't have a decent uh, run at Christmas, then you know what they face into in the new year in terms of quarter one of next year is extremely difficult. You know, they use the profit that they make in Q4 uh, to, to, to really fund the start of the following year. So the uncertainty the fact that we're all now faced in the situation of pretty much trading online for the next six weeks is is a disaster frankly and of course you know the other side of this is we'll open up with literally four weeks to go till christmas so the operational piece of managing the 
the flow of um, of, of business that's going to come in that December period is is causing operational difficulties. It, it's going to be a, a very tough four weeks uh, of trying to claw in, you know, eight weeks worth or ten weeks worth of business into into those final four weeks. It's not going to be easy at all. Yeah, and just last week on the eve of the of the lockdown, your organisation estimated that about sixty thousand retail employees would lose their jobs. Has that come to pass? Look, it's it's early days. I know the, the figures announced yesterday uh, would suggest there's a, a lot that have gone on the PUP. I think there are also uh, retailers out there who are trying to hold on to as many uh, staff as they can using the new employment wage subsidy scheme. But of course, that employment wage subsidy scheme is dependent upon businesses predicting over a six-month period from July through to the end of this year um, how they're going to perform and the, and the fact that it'll be available to them if they're 30% down. Well, retailers have gone through periods, as we've just said, that you know q2 was in the q2 was actually quite good um you know october will have been quite a good month uh, because of the pent-up demand with people starting to realize that november was going to be difficult and then of course november will have dropped off a cliff and december could be quite good so it's really really difficult to predict um but in terms of jobs i think um retailers are doing their best to hold on to people um but inevitably they're going to be significant job losses and i think the real crux of this is not going to necessarily be over the next few weeks it's going to be what happens in january and february yeah and a lot of confusion it has to be said over essential and non-essential can you clarify or shed any light or are you as confused as everybody else well, I, I'm probably in a better place, but there are still elements of confusion, John. Um, I think, look, you know, essential retail is predominantly food, uh, pharmacy and hardware, um, you know, supplying the construction industry and things like that. So those are the things that that um, remain open. Uh, the message here really is that everything else is is closed in terms of bricks and mortar, but very much open in terms of click and collect, delivery, online, uh, all of that type of thing. Um, which, in one sense, you go, okay, so there's an avenue there for, for, for the public to use. But, of course, not every retailer has been able to reposition their business to go online, and, and we are in a difficult situation so uh, for, for a great many retailers out there you know pulling down the shutters is simply that it's it's not trading for the next for the next six weeks and relying on the um on the december period which is an extremely difficult place to be yeah um if if the summer is any experience there will be a release of pent-up demand when hopefully businesses and shops reopen at the start of december that's positive but it will have its own challenges in terms of literally managing social distance in a christmas rush yeah, absolutely. And and what we've been saying to government for many weeks now, and I'm talking from the beginning of September, the first conversations happened with government was to say, look, please don't give us any lockdowns between now and Christmas because all you will actually do is condense uh, Christmas shopping into four weeks. And you know, it, it, the, what, what the evidence would suggest at the moment is that there are very little cases of COVID that are linked back directly to retail. In fact, it was less than 1% um, the last time that uh, that we analysed all of this. Um, and the concern is that, you know, we open up and there's a frenzy of activity in that, dis- in that uh, late December period. Um, and, you know, there's more of an opportunity. So, but, you know, at the end of the day here, retailers have done everything that's been asked of them to make their stores safe over the last few months so you'll have seen it perspex screens hand sanitizing managing queues at the front door all of that type of thing has been done so retailers will handle it 
um, as best they possibly can, but they need to be given the support from government, um, the goodwill from consumers, um, and we'll get through this. But it is going to be a particularly uh, frenzied period as we as we head towards Christmas and we open up. Yeah, we hear a lot about the value to the Irish economy of foreign direct investment and, you know, the intels and so on. But it's fair to say, I think, that retail is the biggest um, single sector of employment in the country. Do you think that's politically recognised enough? Um, no, uh, I think we, we, we employ across retail about 280,000 people. Um, we estimate that this uh, lockdown period will cost the Exchequer somewhere in the region of five billion um, in terms of lost taxes and, and, and you know, lost payroll revenue and all that sort of thing. Um, so it, it's, it is going to be difficult. Um, and you know, retailers, have, as I say, have been, have been working very hard uh, and have been very compliant all the way through this. Um, you know, calls that we've had with government even over the last uh, two weeks, um, you know, we, we've tried to put these messages across very strongly about how important it is and how big the 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 the, um, uh, the, the retail employment is to, uh, you know, to the, to the economy and how important it is. But uh, no, I'm not, I'm not sure it is recognised fully. Um, and, and government certainly need to, to to step up to the place a little bit more, I think, over the next few weeks. Yeah, um, if there is a silver lining to the Christmas reopening, um, what is it? And are you optimistic about the, the outturn of the year? Or, or would you have concerns over lockdown reopening, lockdown reopening and the impact on the retail mm-hmm. sector? Look, I, I think we are probably into that space of lockdown reopening. Um, you know, uh, I, I would, I suppose, when we've spoken with the Tornish the last week, we know the government's view on this is if we get things under control over these next few weeks, then we have that run at Christmas, which is vitally important, not only for retail, but to everybody's mental health. Um, but who knows? I, it looks very much at the moment so, as though we're into that, uh, you know, lockdown cycle, if you like, occurring uh periodically every sort of two or three months and hopefully uh we, we will at least emerge from this in the start of next year with some sort of vaccine available at some point that uh, we can start to, to look forward again that's duncan graham of retail excellence ireland talking to me uh before we came on air and good to chat with him about retail very challenging times but we have to note as well that there are some good news stories mr price who already have a presence in kilkenny city and at hanover square in carlo opened a third outlet in this area on thursday and best of luck to everyone in the new mexican eatery, eatery saboritos which began trading on thursday also and also the wine buff look Located on Patrick Street in Kilkenny, which opened yesterday, all practicing safe shopping and best wishes to them all and best wishes to the future. Coming up, we're going to be talking to John Hurley of Kilkenny Chamber about what now for the Business Awards this year. KCLR, the heart of two counties. John Purcell with you on the bottom line, the programme for and about business until 10 o'clock. It's just seven minutes away from 10 o'clock, so just time for a very quick chat with John Hurley, CEO of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce. John, this time of the year, people are normally preparing in business for a fantastic gala evening um, celebrating the business awards. Obviously, that's not possible this year, a big gathering of six or seven hundred people. What are planned or are there going to be any awards this year? 
Good morning, John. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We are going to do um, something for the Kilkenny Business Awards. It can't be uh, the same as usual, which is five to 600 people gathering to celebrate at the Lyrath Hotel. But uh, we are going to uh, run a programme and we're going to be coming over the coming weeks and making various announcements. Uh, we can't have the usual array of 23 uh, awards because they're independently adjudicated every year and that process involves interviews and so on. So we couldn't do all of that. But we will have two awards, which are the President's Award and the Lifetime Achievement Award. And we would be awarding those uh, over the coming weeks and announcing it through KCLR and the Kilkenny people. And, uh, you know, basically really uh, looking at and standing back and having a look at the wonderful things that some people have done, because there's great stories to be told. And it's really important in these times of doom and gloom that we acknowledge great success and achievement. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, and the show has to go on, even though if it's a different type of show, that's very important because business is continuing. Well, this is the thing. You see, businesses are having to reinvent themselves. Um, and we've heard that tr- throughout your program this morning. Uh, and it's, it's happening down the streets. It's happening out in the countryside. So, therefore, it's going to happen with the Kilkenny Business Awards as well. Uh, and there's, there's great people out there. And, and we want to acknowledge their greatness uh, and, you know, express our appreciation for all that they've done for us and for the Kilkenny business dynamic. Yeah, we were talking earlier in the programme about changing uh, consumer perspectives on Christmas. We were talking about the challenges to retail. We were talking about the political uh, situation in the US and Brexit and all of that kind of stuff. It is a bit of a dark cloud all over the place, but the show goes on, as we were saying. How are businesses in Kilkenny Chamber finding it? It really depends on who you talk to. Some businesses are, you know, business as usual, although doing it in a different way. Um, others are actually booming because there's a greater demand for the way what they've now found uh, to be working for them and their businesses. Uh, but but many are really, really struggling and struggling very badly. Um, so I think with all of us, uh, we need to acknowledge those differences amongst what's going on uh, and really be kind to each other, uh, be as supportive as we possibly can. And the Kilkenny Business Awards program is all about that. It's giving the opportunity for us to acknowledge success and so on and so forth and try to lift the mood a little bit, uh, you know, for some couple of hours or some few days as we build up a bit of a crescendo and a little bit of interest, um, you know, through interviewing people who have done great things, uh, people who have sponsored the event before and why, uh, and talking about what it's all really about. Because there's more to it uh, than just getting up every day, slogging hard all day and going home. Uh, there's, there's, There's outcomes and results and there's people's lives and their stories in it as well and that's what we'll be telling in the Kilkenny Business Awards. Yeah and resilience and I'm sure you're not going to reveal it but but you know looking back over the years there have been many um, fantastic people uh, rewarded uh, or awarded uh, and resilience is a key thing like uh, this may be a difficult time but many businesses get through difficult times and come out the other side better. That's it, exactly. And we're going to have uh, Watch the Kilkenny People over the coming weeks, a big supplement there. And we'll be looking back over the years and maybe highlighting some of the winners and then asking the question and exploring it a little bit like, where are they now? What have they done since then? So it'll be very interesting to see that because no, time stands still for nobody. It's a constantly evolving situation. And in business, you're always looking for the next opportunity, the next challenge. And what can I do next? And that's really what, uh, you know, the Business Awards is all about, acknowledging all of that hard work. Absolutely. And John, look, we look forward to, over the next couple of weeks, working with uh, the Chamber. We'll be announcing more details on this programme and hopefully we'll be uh, meeting uh, your winners. But uh, if people want to keep an eye on the announcements, I suppose the Chamber website is a good place to keep your eyes. 
Yeah, absolutely. The Chamber website, uh, we also have a newsletter to our members, which would be keeping them informed, uh, and our social media pages as well. Um, so, yeah, we, there's loads going on behind the scenes, uh, and it's there for everybody to engage with. So I would encourage people to keep an eye out for the Kilkenny Business Award, see what we're saying, and who's going to get chosen this year for the President's Award and the Lifetime Achievement Award. Really huge awards and accolades for people to be receiving. OK, well, we look forward to that, John. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. That was uh, John Hurley, Chief Executive of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, John, and have a good day. That's about all we've got time for this morning on The Bottom Line. Uh, remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email the bottom line at kclaw96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back to this show or indeed any episode of The Bottom Line, just search for The Bottom Line on KCLaw on the Apple Store, Google Play or or Spotify. Thanks to all our guests this morning, Mark Little and Zahan, uh, Duncan Graham and John Hurley. We'll be back next Saturday just after nine. Thanks to producer Deirdre Drummy. Have yourself a happy Halloween. Stay safe, keep your distance, wash your hands and all that good stuff. And until we speak again, all the best. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.